We're going to get right into the teaching today. If you have your notes in new version, you can take a look at them there, and uh, we're going to be kind of walking through it today. This is part four of our Make Room for God series, uh, and while you're getting your, pulling up your notes there, let me just mention this. Tommy talked about Spirit Lab this morning a little bit, and I want to tell you something. If you missed this past Wednesday night, um, Pastor Kevin from North Carolina, that was probably the best and most practical teaching on prayer that I have ever heard in my entire life. It was that good. And it was just one nugget of truth and, and gold after another. And it didn't seem like we were there for an hour and 15 minutes, but he just literally uh, knocked out of the park. So I hope that you'll come and listen this week and be a part of the, the Spirit Lab as we conclude it with Charlie Dawes. And he's going to also uh, bring some, some stuff that you want to hear. So be here Wednesday night in the sanctuary here at 630. Um, as we get into the teaching this morning, I, I, I was going to um, go a little bit different direction. Then after last Sunday, uh, as I started working on the message and, and that I actually had started for this Sunday, it just didn't gel and didn't flow. And so I stepped back from it and began to take a look again because I haven't been able to get away from the, the whole potter and clay thing. And so I'm going to go a little bit deeper today and instead I'm going to talk specifically about restoration this morning. But give you the backstory, ethos, our ethos, the characteristic spirit of a culture or community that is manifested in its belief and aspirations. Our core values, we've seen them right here on the stage this morning, multi-generational. We're experiential in worship. You've seen that, this, we've experienced that today. Uh, we attempt to be balanced in our preaching and teaching. Restoration, which is centered in love, acceptance, and forgiveness, and the fact that nobody fights alone. Um, we're spiritual, we're, we're all about spiritual community formation, which we'll close out next week with that teaching, which is all about biblical literacy and how you can't have spiritual formation without community. You have to have them there. And uh, they, don't, they, don't happen, they're not, they don't happen on their own. You have to do them both together. And then we're about global missions. Um, we're talking about how do we as genuine make room for God? through the vision of this community of faith. And this is, if you came in today, uh, at the, out on the, as you leave, actually, when you leave today, out on the, at the hub, there's some little cards. It says, make room for God on one side. On the back side, it's our vision statement. It's who we are. Encapsulated in this statement, Generations United is a family-oriented community of faith where anyone at any stage of life can experience the dynamic presence of God. Our commitment to love, acceptance, and forgiveness allows God to bring people to wholeness through restoration and spiritual formation. Last week, we talked about the doorway to wholeness, which is love, acceptance, and forgiveness. How do we, how do we get to that point? Well, if we don't have an atmosphere where everyone feels loved, everyone feels accepted, and everyone knows that forgiveness is theirs, then we're never going to be able to touch people's lives. And we're never going to be able to bring someone or see someone brought to wholeness that we don't respect. And it doesn't matter what their lifestyle is. And this is, this is where the sticking point with a lot of people get to be. They look at someone who's an outsider to the faith. They're, they're not a believer. And, so, and they have different types of lifestyles and beliefs and all this. And, and we tend to put up these barriers and go, no, you're not like me. And, and the thing about it is that Jesus didn't die on the cross for lifestyles. Okay? Jesus died on the cross for people. All right? Now, I'm not, I'm not affirming anything. I'm simply saying, let's get it right biblically. Let's understand why the cross was necessary. Yeah, but it's for all about sin. No, the cross was about love. 
The cross was about the love of God manifesting itself through his son that would sacrifice his life for individuals that didn't know him so that we could be reconciled back to God and be in relationship with him. All right? So we're going to look at the, again today at the potter and the clay in Jeremiah 18, uh, verse 2. Here's what it says. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. I went to the potter's house, saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. The whole parable in the Old Testament here centers on the clay. It centers on the clay on the wheel. The quality of clay determines what the potter can do with it. That's, that's what we talked about that all last week. But there's another side to pottery making and, and the potter and the clay that I want to kind of center in on today than just about the, the lump of clay on the, on the table. What about a vessel that's been formed by the master, everything's going well, but something has happened and there's a crack in it. And now it's, it doesn't hold water. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a vase and it's supposed to, maybe it doesn't hold water. Maybe it's no longer useful for the, 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 uh, the plan or purpose it was originally intended because it's been broken. Or it's cracked and there's some, there's some kind of thing that's, that's happened to it, so it's no longer useful. What about that? Taking something that has been broken or cracked and restoring it. That's what today centers on. Restoration is the act of returning something to a former owner, place, or a former condition. We talk about being biblically literate. Then we recognize, if we are, we recognize from reading scripture that restoration is the heart of God. Restoration began before time, actually. We go back to Eden. Everything was broken in Eden. God put, put perfection in place. He put a man and a woman in there. He formed them out of the dust. He breathed, his, breathed the breath of life into them, set them there, said, be fruitful and multiply. This is yours. This is, just don't eat of this one particular tree. Eat all the rest of the trees. Eat everything you want. Just don't eat of this tree. And true to form as human beings, we want something that we typically usually can't have. So they ate, and everything was broken. And everything has been broken since that time. But God was not willing to let it stay broken. From the moment that Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, from the moment they realized their nakedness, from the moment, from the moment that happened, God knew that there had to be some way to bring a broken, fallen humanity back into right relationship with him. And he set a plan in place. God made a way of restoration, and everything was made available to restoration by what Jesus did at Calvary. Whatever you need, whatever you need, if you need restoration in your finances, in your relationship, in your spirit, emotionally, it is possible to be restored because of God's grace. It is the Father's grace that motivated Jesus to go to the cross, to shed his blood, to die and rise again. It is through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus that God has provided an avenue to restoration for all of us. But there's another piece of it that sometimes we don't think about, and that is God's willingness to restore. See, God wasn't willing to leave Eden the way it was. Yes, he had to remove the man and the man and the woman from there. All the things had to go into place, but there had to be a process in place because of God's great love for you and I and all of humanity. God decided, I don't want it to be, continue to be broken. I want to find a way that it can be restored from brokenness to a place of wholeness and in right relationship with me. So God put it in place. It was Jesus. It was the cross. 
It was the tomb. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It was the coming of the Holy Spirit. All of those things God planned from the beginning of the world. But God has a willingness to restore. Psalm 71 tells us that you have made me see my troubles, many and bitter. You will restore my life again. Joel 1.25, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. You read that whole chapter there and you see that this locust came in and just devastated. And God's making a promise to his people that I will restore what has been taken from you. I'll restore what has been uh, eaten by the locust, which is, which is usually a form of judgment or something like that. But it's, it, it's a horrible thing. But he says, I will restore you. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. It's kind of like a thread here. Is there anything familiar about those three passages that we can see? Yes, God's desire to restore his people. And Jesus said in Matthew 12, he said, a bruised reed and a smoldering wick. I won't break a bruised reed and I won't snuff out a smoldering wick. In other words, you may have been bruised, you may have been battered, the fire in your life may have gone out, but I'm not going to snuff it out. I want to do what I can to repair the break, and I want to do what I can to rekindle the flame. This is all the center of, at the heart of God. As individuals, though, we have to make room for God. If we're to be restored, restoration does not happen without our involvement. My involvement in my own restoration is imperative. Your involvement in your restoration is imperative. You can't, it won't happen by osmosis and it won't happen without your involvement in it. Yeah, but I just like, I would prefer it to be like a microwave when I just put it in there, hit it 10 seconds and it's warm and I'm ready to eat it. Okay. Restoration is not a hot pocket. All right. It's not a hot pocket. 60 seconds and lunch. Restoration is a process. And we're going to talk a little bit about this today, but we're going to look at it from two people's perspective. Let's talk about Job first. Uh, Job, we just, we just finished reading the book of Job uh, in, our, in our reading. Job lost everything as a test. You read the book of Job, Job was, a, he was an upright man, he was righteous, he was, he was kind of a God's trophy kind of a thing when you read the story. And, and Satan came and said, hey, and God said, hey, have you, have you seen Job? He said, yeah, but I can't mess with him because you've got this hedge around him and all this. And so God removed his hand for a moment and let the enemy attack Job. Because actually what God was doing was betting on Job. He was going, listen, he's not going to, he's not going to deny me. But Satan thought, he said, yeah, you let me have him and he'll deny me. He'll deny you. So he lost everything. And the first thing, he just lost everything. Lost his flocks, lost his kids. And, and so a little while later, you know, he's going through the grieving process. He's, he went from wealth to incredible poverty. He's bankrupt. Everything's going bad. Everything's happening negative to him. And then Satan goes back to, to God and says, you know, hey. And God says, well, he, I told you he wouldn't deny me. He said, yeah, but you still have his health. Let me have his health, and he'll deny you. He said, okay, you can, you can have his health, but you can't kill him. Now, sometimes... Sometimes having, having infirmities and negatives, sometimes it's, it seems like it's worse than death. Okay, it does. And this is what's going on in Job. Job loses his health. I mean, he's got these boils that just break out all over him. And the picture that we see in the book of Job is that Job's not even staying in his house. He's living in the backyard in a pile of ashes. And he takes a piece of pottery and he's scratching himself with pottery. 
because he's so miserable. He's got this rash that's going on, these boils and all this. To make it worse, when his friends find out about it, his friends, they all go, they come in, and they get three chairs, and one of them sits, they set three, three little corners. And each one of them, they take turns telling Job what he's done wrong. Now, in Job's mind, he goes, I know. I know I have done nothing. I don't know why I'm going through this, but I've done nothing. And Job knows this. Job lost everything. He did nothing wrong, but he found himself in a place where he needed restoration. He found himself in a place where he needed restoration. All right? Set that on the shelf for just a second. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's talk about Peter. Peter's situation was not Job's situation. Peter did everything wrong. I mean, he lost everything because of wrong choices. You know, I mean, he's, he's in a boat and he has, at least he has this, this, this picture initially of this great faith and he crawls out of the boat, starts walking on the water. Storm, take my eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. So he goes from a moment of great faith to a moment of unbelievable unfaithfulness and he begins to sink and the only thing he do is cry out to God. Anybody ever been there? You know, yeah, most of us have. <clears throat> and then the, the biggie, sometime later, they're in the garden. Jesus is just, they just had dinner together and Jesus told them that all of you are going to betray me. You're going to all leave Peter's, once again, his mouth. If everyone leaves you, I never will. Even if I have to die with you, I go back to the passion play days. I remember hearing Walt Irvine playing Peter saying those words. If I'll leave you, I never will. That's what Peter does. He stands up in front of all the guys and goes, I know what you said, Jesus, but like you don't know what you're talking about. So I'm not going to leave you. They come to the garden. They arrest him. Jesus chastises him because he tries to kill somebody. And then Peter runs. Right before the meal ended, though, Jesus looked at him after, after Peter made his grandiose statement. Peter, Jesus said, look, not only are you going to leave me, but you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. And it starts in, in the courtyard outside Caiaphas' house. And true to form, Peter denies Jesus three times. Jesus looks at him. He runs off into the night sobbing. The point, I guess, of what I'm trying to make is this. That Peter did everything wrong except get out of the boat. And he still needed restoration. So I guess the point really is this. It doesn't matter how you became broken. Restoration can still happen for you. That's the real point, okay? It doesn't matter how you got to that place of brokenness. And, and can I say this? This wasn't in my notes, but it just kind of popped in my, in my mind, in my spirit. So I just want to say this. There's going to come a point in time when you probably got to set aside the how you got there. Okay? Too often we hold on to the how. Well, I was... He left me. He had an affair. She, she had an affair. She broke my heart. You know, uh, I was offended by this. I was offended by it. Sooner or later, you got to take that and you got to get rid of that. You got you to let the how go and then deal with what's your role in getting back to a place of restoration. Job's part in his restoration was this. He refused to leave his faith. As a matter of fact, there was one point when he said, though God kills me, even if God kills me, I am not going to deny him. I'm going to continue to serve him. And then the other piece of Job is, and you read the last chapter, he prayed for his friends. 
And when he prayed for his friends, God restored his fortunes. God didn't restore Job until he began to pray for his friends. The same three guys that sat in chairs around him telling him he was a sinner, telling him he had all these kind of issues and all this junk going on. And listen to me. There are people in your life that will try to help you understand what you did wrong to become broken. They can't offer any way to walk out of it, but they're going to tell you what you did. There's a point in time when you're going to turn that around and begin to pray for that person, those people. Okay? You've got to pray for those people. You've got to serve others. You've got to begin to reach out to other people. That's what Job did. That was his part in his restoration. Job's actions ushered in God's response. And when God restored Job, he had twice as much as he did before he was broken. Now, this is just a sidebar, but I found it very interesting this week as I was kind of reading this and studying this out. The only thing that Job was left with was his wife. Okay, and you read the story, you get a picture of the kind of woman that she was. Thankfully, I'm not married to that kind of woman. Thank God. But she gets out. She walks out on the front porch one day, and she said, are you still serving God? Look at you. You lost everything. Our kids are gone. Our money's gone. All of our flocks, everything, and you don't have any help, and you're sitting in a pile of ashes, and you're scratching yourself. Why don't you just deny God, get some relief, and die? It's in that moment that Job said, no. Even if God does kill me, I'm still going to serve him. That's not the interesting thing to me, though. The interesting thing to me is this. When God restores everything to Job, twice as many cattle and sheep and all the other kind of things, he gives him 10 more kids. And she'd already had 10. I don't know. I'm just wondering. May have been a blessing for Job. I'm not sure, sure about Job's wife, how she would feel with another 10. I don't know. That has nothing to do with spirituality whatsoever. I just thought it was interesting. <laughs> thought I'd throw it out there for consideration this morning. <laughs> But that's a pattern with God, okay? Even in Zechariah 9, God says this, even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Not in Job's situation, in our situation, in his people's situation. Job's actions ushered in God's response. Talk about Peter. In John 21, we see a picture of, this is Jesus has died, he's been resurrected He's still appearing to people, and Peter and some of the guys have gone back to fishing because everything was lost and all this, and they were down in gloom, despair, agony on me, and, you know, um, misery, all the stuff that, that he all used to sing about. And so they're fishing, and they come close to the shore there, and one of the guys in the boat says, hey, that's Jesus. Jesus cries out, hey, throw your nets on the other side. You, remember, you kind of remember the story if you've read it. You, if you hadn't, look into John 21. You can read the whole story because I'm not going to do that today. But when they recognize Jesus, Peter jumps out of the boat. He puts on his clothes and he jumps out of the boat and he swims to the shore. When he gets to the shore, Jesus is there. He's got a meal. And they're eating this meal. They pull the boat in and, they, and Peter goes back and helps them get the because there's more fish than they can handle. And so Jesus cooks some fish for them. They're sitting there having breakfast. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep, Jesus said. 
The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. Now, Peter, you know, Peter gets his feelings ruffled pretty quick. You know, because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Because truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And he said to him, Peter, follow me. Peter's part in this interaction with Jesus post-resurrection is this. He jumped out of the boat. He swam to the shore. Peter's part in it, he went to Jesus. Well, Jesus could have easily walked out on the water. No, that's not the point. That's not the point. Peter had denied Jesus three times. Peter had left his calling and his purpose for existing and went back to fishing. And Jesus was on the shore and had been on the shore the whole time they were fishing up the lake. Just waiting. Just waiting. He had a fire going. But Peter had to jump out of the boat, swim to shore. He had to go to where Jesus was. He had to make room for God if he was going to find restoration. Peter's actions ushered in Jesus' response to restore. Now, Jesus does something very interesting here. He recreates the setting of Peter's betrayal. And he just recreates the whole thing. You've heard me talk about this before if you've been around here for a few years. There's only two places in the New Testament where a charcoal fire is mentioned. Only two places. Once, in Caiaphas' courtyard, the night he betrayed Jesus. And the second one is here at the edge of the Sea of Galilee when, when Jesus restores Peter. So the smell is there. The smell is there. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me three times? He's recreating the entire thing. Why? Because God is not willing to leave us broken. Jesus was not willing to leave Peter broken. He wanted to restore. That's why he was on the side of the Sea of Galilee that day. That's why he was on the seashore. That's why he built the charcoal fire. That's why he was there. And when they saw him and identified him, Peter had to leave the boat and come to where Jesus was. He had to make room. Remember, he had left his purpose and gone back to his previous vocation. He had to come back to Jesus. Jesus was waiting. Jesus was waiting. And three times he asked him, do you love me? And each time he asked him, he made a statement. Jesus made a statement to Peter. Every time he asked him, do you love me, Peter? Jesus said these three things to him, Peter, I love you. I forgive you. Now let's have a meal together. That meal was the capsulation of full restoration. Listen to me. If you've got a relationship that's jacked up and you're working on it, sooner or later you've got to sit down and have a meal together. Sooner or later you've got to sit down and have a meal together. If you're broken this morning, if you're, you're a cracked vessel this morning, you got, you got broken, your purpose has been marred from what it was originally intended by mistakes or maybe not even by your own doing, it just happened. Jesus is saying to every one of us the same thing he said to Peter, I love you, I forgive you, now let's have a meal together. 
You see, Peter did not just receive forgiveness for his denying Christ. He received restoration from Jesus. He was restored to love. He was restored to fellowship and relationship with God. But he was also restored to usefulness to others. What did Jesus say? The last thing he said to him was, Peter, follow me. I have a plan for your life. Now, here's where the interesting thought, and this is where we come back to the potter and the clay. And I didn't know this until this week. And I didn't know that I had a, that I had a master potter and one of my staffers. We're setting a staff meeting Wednesday, and I'm talking about this. And, and somebody, I think Tommy or somebody asked, do, do we know a master potter? And our master potter on staff said, I'm a master potter. Jeff Davis. Yeah, I didn't know that. But Jeff, Jeff is a master potter. Pot maker. Potter thing. Knows how to do the whole thing. Here's what he said. This is what Jeff told me. He said, you know, when a pot's been broken, he said, you can crush that back into dust in the form of dust, add it back to the clay, and the clay will be stronger the second time around than it was the first. And I'm going, okay, there's the message. There it is right there. Because here's the deal. When God restores, he does not take you back to the way you were before you were broken because God is better than that. He restores and leaves you better than you were before. He may ground you back to dust. You got broken this this morning. You've been going through a, a tough time of it. You're cracked. You got all these, these, these impurities, all this stuff in, in, the, in your vessel, okay? You can't fulfill the purpose that you thought you were supposed to fulfill. Here's what I want you to know this morning. God is going to crush you back into dust, add you back to the clay, and when he reforms you, he will reform you and you'll be stronger than you ever were before. But you and I have to leave room for the crushing. We have to leave room for the crushing, and nobody likes that. The wire is bad enough. And they run the wire through the clay to get the chunks of rock and all the, the, the pot, air pockets out. of That's bad enough. But this is, you're formed and you, had, you, you were working, everything was going well, and all of a sudden something happens and now you're broken again. We have to allow the potter to take a hammer to us and begin to just beat us back into dust. And I don't know about you, but I just don't like beatings. I don't like it. But I've experienced them. I've experienced them. And my story's a little bit more like Peter, a lot less like Job's. I've, I've never been one that anybody could go, well, that's a perfect and upright man by any stretch of the imagination. But Peter, I can, I can identify with him because I'm all the time making mistakes. And I made some huge ones a few years back. I made some huge ones. And God had to crush me he had to crush me from what I was, an arrogant, self-centered pastor that thought he was better than everybody else because everything he did was working and he never had any bad stuff happen to him until God said, you know what, son, I, my word is true. Pride does come before a fall. And your arrogance, and I had to be brought down and I had to go through this season of crushing. My season lasted almost a decade. Hopefully yours won't have to go that way. Learn the lesson early. Cut the time down. Just go ahead and surrender. Let him hit you with the hammer. <laughs> because I can tell you, when God does his deal, 
And then he begins to reform us. Remember, remember what, the, what it said there in Jeremiah, that he reformed it into a vessel that pleased him as it pleased the potter, as it pleased the potter. Leave room for the crushing. Leave room for the crushing. Why didn't Peter get it right the first time? Because he didn't submit to the crushing. I think Job did. I think Job submitted right from the beginning. He, he refused to deny Christ. He submitted to the crushing. Didn't make it any less painful. But the reality of the restoration was, was bigger and better than anything Job could have imagined. After Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. Peter, after the crushing in Acts 2, he went from a bumbling, always putting his foot in his mouth, scared of his own shadow, to standing out on the porch there outside the upper room preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and three people, 3,000 people come to faith that day. 3,000 people. Not only was it Peter preaching at Pentecost, but you and I, as Gentiles, we are in the family of God because of Peter's response to God in Acts chapter 10. Peter, because he responded to a vision that God gave him, opened the door for Gentiles to come in to faith in Jesus Christ. You and I are sitting in this building this morning because Peter... Listen to the voice of God and went to Cornelius' household. Don't tell me God can't take a broken vessel, restore it, and use it twice as better than he possibly could have been to begin with. He will do more in your life second time around than he ever would have done in the beginning if you'll just allow that to happen and you'll be stronger because you and I, we are also restored to love, we're restored to fellowship and relationship, and we're restored to usefulness to other people. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. Now, let me give you some practical stuff, and then we're going to close. Restoration in your life may involve counseling, therapy. It did for me. Why? You've been, yeah. And, and I look, I know the therapeutic movement has been, been greatly shunned by the evangelical movement for a lot of years, but the problem with that is we keep throwing the baby out with the bathwater. That's just dumb. It's just dumb. God put people on this earth. There are physicians on this earth. There are doctors. There are counselors. There are psychiatrists, psychologists on this earth that can help you move to a place of wholeness. They can help you in the restoration process. God will use them. It's always blown my mind why we'll go to the doctor and get some, get some antibiotics when we got a cold or strep or flu or something like that or this stuff we're dealing with now. But yet when our mind and our emotions are broken, that we think, oh, I'll just pray this out. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The same God that put medical doctors in place or the same God that placed counselors and therapists in our midst. It may involve that. I'm not saying it does every time. I'm saying it may. Sometimes it involves medication. It did for me. You say, well, you're kind of sharing a lot of raw stuff this morning. Yeah, I am because I want you to understand something. There is a pathway to restoration, and it may involve 
therapy, and sometimes it involves medications. Sometimes your brain gets so sick that you can't make sense of anything spiritually. Sometimes your emotions are all jacked up and you can't, you can't find a balance and levelness in there so that you can't listen to what the voice, because then, and then you're pinging like a super ball in an in a octagonal room. You're just bouncing off every wall emotionally. You're going, I'm just going to pray this, that God calls my spirit. Well, maybe you need a little help. Maybe you need a little help. It's okay. It's okay. Probably get some emails on that one. But restoration may involve counseling and it may involve medication. Restoration will involve these things. The desire to be whole. And I don't mean just, I'd like to be whole. I mean a desire to be whole. I mean, Jesus asked some guys sometimes, there's two or three times he would ask them, what do you want me to do for you? He said, that I could, that I could receive my sight. He asked one guy, do you want to be whole? You want to be healed? And he, he goes, no, nah, I, I don't think so. No, he didn't do that. He goes, yes, I want to be healed. Okay? There's got to be a desire to be healed. There's got to be a desire to be whole. There has to be a knowledge of the level of your brokenness. And I don't necessarily mean going on the internet and self-diagnosing yourself. You know? There's probably some people in your life that you could sit down with and go, okay, I don't need you to be the three friends like Job had and tell me what's wrong. You know, I need some input in my life. Or you go to someone that can help you understand the level of brokenness in your life. A knowledge of the level of brokenness. And then there's got to be a commitment to the process. And a commitment to the process is this. Whatever it takes, Lord, I want to be whole. Whatever it takes. And the last piece is where we all fall off the the wagon. Hard work. Hard work. You got to get out of the boat. You got to swim to shore. Before Peter got out of the boat, he had to get dressed. You know? I mean, he had to do all this stuff. He had to do all this stuff. Job had to stay the course. He had to refuse to listen to the voices around him telling him how sinful he was. He had to stop listening to everything around him and hold fast to the faith that God had given him. Though God slay me, I'm going to stay right here in connection with him. Restoration is possible for every single solitary one of us. Yeah, but where's God in all this? He's right where he's always been. He hasn't left. For Peter, he was on the shore. Jesus was there. Peter had to come to him. Jesus said, I'm with you always. Are you making room for him? Are you making room for God? Seek first his kingdom. His righteousness, all these things will be added. I need, I need, to, I need to close with this, okay? I know I've, I've circled twice now. We're going we're gonna to land it this time. We're going to land it this time. As a community of faith, as a community of faith, we have to be about restoring other people. It begins with love, acceptance, and forgiveness. That's, that's the door. But then there's that element of trying to work it so that nobody has to fight this alone. Having the, having the resources that we can put in people's hands. Galatians 6 says, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, restore that person gently. 
Restore them gently. I mean, it's not, you know, and, and there's that, we forget and we don't see the word gently very often. We restore that person. So what do we do? Sinner! Adulterer! Addict! All the other words that we throw out for people that are broken. But here it says gently. Restore them gently because it is the goodness of God that brings people to wholeness, okay? Carry each other's burdens so that you can fulfill the law of Christ. He also says watch yourself so that you don't find yourself in temptation. But I want to read something to you this morning. It's Isaiah 61. I'm not taking it out of context. But I know that it's what was spoken about Jesus in the Old Testament, that Jesus spoke over himself in the book of Luke. But today I want to speak it over Generations United Church. Because it's true. I'm not adding or taking away from Scripture. I'm simply speaking the word of the Lord over Generations United Church this morning. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on Generations United because the Lord has anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent us to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Generations united, we be called oaks of righteousness, a planning of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Generations united, will we build the ancient ruins? And generations united will restore the places long devastated. And generations united will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. In Jesus' name, I declare that over this church. Amen. Let's stand all over the room today. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. Charlie's going to come. I know we've, we've gone a lot longer than we typically do on Sunday mornings, but I just, I didn't, we had a lot going on. And I wasn't going to cut into the word any today because it was so important. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed all over this room today, I just, I feel like there's a bunch of broken vessels in the house. A bunch of people that maybe at one time you were, you were, you were working, had a purpose and everything was going well, but something happened and now you're broken and you're kind of just lost and you don't seem, you feel like you can't really hold the things of God in your life anymore. That it, as the water comes in, it just seeps out to all the cracks and crevices in your life. I want you to know something today. That God altered the plans for this service to bring you to this place. That God has altered the plans of everything in your life to bring you here today so that you would hear what the word of the Lord is for your life. And that is he wants to restore you. He wants to restore you. Now will you make room for him? Will you make room for him? Yeah, but do I have to move? Yes, you got him. Peter had to get out of the boat. The altar team's coming. They're going to be here across the front of this building. They're here to pray for you, to speak God's word over you. So in just a moment, as Charlie begins to sing this song, in Jesus' name, if you're that broken vessel, if you're that cracked pot, whatever it is, whatever brokenness, whatever level it is, if you want to begin the process today by making room for God, then in Jesus' name, I want you to step out from where you're standing. I want you to move forward right now as Charlie begins to sing this song. Come right now in the name of Jesus Christ.